this morning, and we're talking about the book of Romans, found in chapter 12, starting in verse 14. Again, that's Romans 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. Forgive and try what is honorable in the sight of all. morning, and grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, what a beautiful day for us to be able to come together and to uh, praise our Lord and to, to uh, recognize His holiness and His goodness and His love and to encourage each other unto uh, self-control and godliness and godly living. So thankful that we can be here together. I do want to encourage you um, to come to our evening Sunday study. Our Sunday evening study, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, to being back together for another opportunity on Sunday. Let's be realistic, we have gotten into some bad habits over the past year when it comes to uh, attending uh, worship services and participating in uh, church work, and we need to start breaking those habits. And how we break those habits is by being together more and more. Uh, brethren, you know, we don't need to be uh, deceived or apathetic about the world that we live in. It's growing darker and darker each day. And we need to be finding more opportunity to spend together and not less, not fewer. And so I want to exhort you and encourage you to be here with us this evening, spend time in fellowship, uh, receive another portion of God's word, and so that we can exhort one another towards our most holy faith. Tony Campello is a minister who works at universities with college students, some secular universities. Maybe you've heard his name before. And one of the things he asks students, non-believing students, is what's the one thing that you know about Jesus? What's the one thing that you know about him? And without a doubt, the majority of the time they respond, love your enemies. Love your enemies. That's the one thing that stands out to them that they know about Jesus. Now, I find that interesting. I find it interesting that the major teaching that the world knows about Jesus, the most popular teaching, the most well-known teaching that Jesus has, is also the one that we enjoy obeying the least. Right? I mean, let's be honest. One of the greatest struggles, we, we again, there's several of the teachings that we could probably get through in the Sermon on the Mount and think, I'm good. Like, that's easy, right? I've got that. That comes natural to me. But it doesn't come natural to anyone to love their enemy. Now, you might have convinced yourself in the past that you don't have enemies, that you're a good guy, that you're a good lady, and, and, and then you get along with most people, and most people like you, and, and, and you don't take issue with most people, and most people don't take issue with you. And that's probably true. I've convinced myself of that as well in the past. And you begin to think, what's this enemy thing that Jesus is talking about? I don't have any enemies. But let me tell you something, as I was mentioning a moment ago, 
as the world grows darker, it seems, as days go on at this present generation that we live in, as the dividing line between light and darkness, the dividing line between uh, godly living and, and evil living grows more evident, that you are going to have enemies. That there are people who hate you and they don't even know your name. But they hate the name that you wear, which is Christian. And so how do you engage as a Christian with people who have certain perceptions about you as a Christian and maybe not even know you personally, but they know, at least in their own minds, what you stand for? How do you engage with those type of people? Now, again, if we're being honest, there's a great temptation because it's natural to give in to the frustration, to give in to the anger, to give in to the bitterness, to grant access to the hate. Because it's so frustrating at times. Why don't they understand that, that I just, I love them, I care about their soul, it's, I'm just wanting to stand for truth. Why don't they understand that this is not who I am or this is who I am? Why can't they just understand that? And so it's easy to give in to that frustration. And to that anger and to respond to the bitterness and hate that we see within the world. In fact, what makes it even more difficult is some of our enemies, and we'll talk about what we mean by that term in a moment, some of our enemies are within our own household. Sometimes it's harder to love people when they are closer to us, when we know them better, when we wake up in the morning and turn over and they're there. Sometimes those are the people that, are the, that, that we find it the most difficult to, to love. So how do you do that? How do you obey that most well-known teaching of Jesus? And where do you get the motivation for it? Where do you, what does it even mean? That's what we want to look at this morning. As we turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 and we continue our study through the Gospel of Matthew as we see how we can love our enemies. How can we love maybe people that we would refer to as unlovable? How do we love the unlovable? We're going to start in verse 43 together of Matthew 5. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your father who's in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Again, what does Jesus mean here? When he says to love your enemies. Well, first off, what's an enemy in the first place? That seems kind of like an archaic term. It seems kind of ancient to refer to someone as an enemy. We, I, I would say that you very rarely use that in your everyday conversations. You might very rarely refer to someone who is your enemies. And even if we do think that we have enemies, we certainly don't think that they live next door. We might think of a politician in Washington, or we might think of some media personality that we view as antagonistic towards Christian values, but we don't really maybe think that our enemy lives next door or within our own community, within our own neighborhood, within our own family. Now, the Greek 
for enemy here means that it's someone who we are in the active process of despising or hating. Or flipping it, someone who is in the active process of despising or hating us. That is what an enemy is. And what's interesting is that Jesus doesn't say, you don't have enemies, just love everybody. He recognizes that you're going to have enemies. You're going to have enemies. People that you struggle with liking and people that struggle with liking you. People that you don't really enjoy being around. And if you put it in a different way from verse 43 where he says, you shall love your neighbor. If we kind of put a little spin on it, our enemies are, or rather we should love those who are neighborly and unneighborly. Those who act like our neighbor and those who don't. Now, the Jews in Jesus' day saw the neighbor as someone who did them good. If you do my good, howdy neighbor, we're neighbors. But it tells them, uh, but Jesus tells them, and of course within the, uh, the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, that the neighbor extends far beyond that. Our neighbor extends even to those who maybe we would usually be antagonistic towards or who would be antagonistic towards us. And so that's the type of people Jesus is talking about when he says, love your enemy. And so the point of kingdom living, the point of making Jesus your king, it's not just about keeping the peace with people that you like. The vast majority of us can do that. Jesus even says the Gentiles can do that. They can keep the peace with the people that they like. They can generally keep those people happy. But rather what he's saying is, how do you spread love? How do you show love to people that you encounter that are quite unlovable? The rude waiter at the restaurant. The person who cut you off in traffic. The neighbor next door with a different political sign. How do you love those people? And who exactly are they? Jesus lists three categories here, I think, that shows us what he means by an enemy. Number one, there are the persecutors. The persecutors. These are people who not only passively harm you, but are actively out to hurt you. They're actively out to hurt you maybe emotionally, maybe financially, maybe physically. And the New King James Version says they are those who curse you, if you're using the New King James Version, or those who spitefully use you. These are people who hope that you fail at whatever you do. And those who use their own profit, used, who use you rather, for their own profit and gain. Now, some of us might have people like that in our close circle. Some of us maybe not. Uh, there's active persecution uh, within the world going on right now of Christians. There are real persecutions going on. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that. I just read an article this last week how uh, the Chinese government is imprisoning Christians in re-education camps throughout China. It's happening right now in this world. It's rise on the rise. Persecution's on the rise of Christians. So that's a very real thing. And maybe you on the flip side, have someone in your life who doesn't like the fact that you're a Christian who kind of tries to do what they can to stick it to you to cause you as much discomfort in your life as they possibly can simply because they know you're a Christian. And they might do things that antagonize you and they do it because they know you're a Christian they know it'll bother you. Some of us have people like that in our lives. Those are enemies. Persecutors. 
But there's also not only persecutors, there's agitators. Notice that Jesus says that God sends the rain on evil and unjust men. Evil and unjust men. Now these are people that are living a constant life of rebellion against God. And they aren't necessarily a militant atheist persecuting the idea of God. But they're simply sinners that are living in daily rebellion against God. And yet here's the incredible thing. Jesus says that God sends these people that are living in open and active rebellion to him something that they cannot provide for themselves and something that he does not have to give them. Rain. He sends the rain, which produces their crops. It's an act of pure grace, Jesus says. They're not deserving of it. They're not worthy of it, but he still sends it. And so these type of individuals, these agitators, they, 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 they're not necessarily active persecutors. They're just living in rebellion to God. And many of us probably have these people in our life. We might not have persecutors in our life, but we often do have agitators. And these are people that kind of seem to just live in rebellion to you. They live against you. They live against who you are. Uh, everything that you say, they disagree with. Everything that you do is never good enough. Or maybe they are simply the burr in your side, as we sometimes say. The grouchy neighbor next door who critiques everything you do with your lawn. The judgmental in-law who frowns upon your family decisions. The boss who speaks harshly to you and never recognizes the good work that you do. These are the people who it seems as if their very existence is to be the anti-you. They're agitators. And these are people, unfortunately, who make up your daily life. At some point in your life, you will most likely have someone like this. Individuals who aren't necessarily persecuting you because you're a Christian or persecuting you because of your faith. But they simply live a life of aggression towards you. They're agitators. So there's persecutors, there's agitators, and then there are simply haters. Jesus says, for if you love those who love you. So there's people that love you. I'm glad there's people that love you in your life. I'm glad that there's people who love me. But you know what? There are people in your life who just don't like you. And it doesn't matter what you do. They're never going to like you. They just are annoyed by your existence. And they might not even be able to tell you why. They just hate you. And Jesus says that if there's people who are going to lo love you because of who you are, there are people who are going to hate you for who you are. How do you deal with that type of person? How do you deal with a person that may never change, that might always dislike you? These are your enemies. The persecutors, the agitators, the haters. These are the individuals, and, and as I'm talking about this, there's probably somebody that has come to your mind. Maybe that you hadn't thought of before in that way. Now, I, I want us to recognize, again, that Jesus accepts the fact that the church is going to have enemies. Now, the modern church would like us to not have enemies. And what I mean by that is this. Some people think that if the church was just nicer... If the church was just kinder, if we just backed off of some things a little bit more, if we were just a little bit more rounded around the edges, if we were, you know, said things a little bit more articulately, if we, if we, if we said things more kindly, 
that we would just win the world over and then the, the world wouldn't hate us. Now, I'm not denying, if you listen to my sermons, you would know I encourage, we're talking about loving your enemies and being kind, absolutely. But to think that the church can just win the world over by being nicer is naive. And it's not only naive, it's dangerous for the church. Jesus told his brothers in John chapter 7, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil. The world can't hate you, Jesus told his brothers, because you're of the world. He said in John 15, verses 18 and 19, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You know what Jesus says there? He's not, he says, listen, it doesn't matter. Yes, you must be kind. You must be gentle. You must be loving. That's what we're talking about this morning. But at the end of the day, just because Jesus chose you, the world is going to hate you. And, and, and we're, we're in grave danger at times of backing off from important biblical truths by convincing ourselves, naively trying to convince ourselves that we just backed off a few things, we'd win the world over. Brethren, that is extremely dangerous thinking for the church. We are going to have enemies. And Jesus doesn't say you're not going to have enemies. He doesn't expect the church to be without enemies. He expects us to have enemies. And then you know what he expects us to do with those enemies? To love them. To love them. He doesn't want us creating a world where there aren't enemies. Because if that was the case, that would, that would be the new creation. That would be a creation where righteousness dwells. Well, we live in a place where unrighteousness dwells. And so there's going to be conflict. There's going to be enemies when you're trying to live righteously and godly before God. So what do you do according to Jesus? How do you really love them? How do you love them? Jesus shows us three practical ways that we can love our enemies. Number one, be pleasant to them. The word uh, greet here, if you notice there uh, in, in the text where he says, if you greet those who greet you, or verse 47, if you greet only your brothers, the word greet literally means to enfold with your arms. It's someone that you maybe haven't seen in a while. Hey, buddy, how you doing? You give him a hug. I want you to think for a moment about the one person that you cannot imagine giving a hug to. The one person that you can't imagine walking up to and hugging. And imagine tomorrow walking up to that person with a smile on your face and giving them a hug. Jesus is talking about that. That type of greeting. And this is one of the most basic principles of loving your enemies. To be pleasant with them in your daily interactions. To smile at them, to shake their hand, to give them a hug even. Christians shouldn't be known as unpleasant and unkind people, even to their enemies. And this is something that we have to understand about the love that Jesus is talking about here. It is primarily, first, volitional. And then it is emotional. If you're waiting for yourself to feel good about people before you actually love them, you're not going to love them. You have to act in love before the feelings of love will often follow. 
And so that's why Jesus is giving here actions. Did you notice that? He gives specific actions. Alec read Romans 12 earlier. He talks about these actions that you do towards actively loving people. And here's the first thing he says. You be, you be pleasant. And this requires conscious action on our part. Because the, the natural thing for us to do with someone that we know who doesn't like us, what's the natural thing that we do? We act cold. We act distant. We want them to know that we've got a problem with them. And Jesus says, you greet even your enemies. So you be pleasant. Number two, be provisional. Again, Jesus says that God provides for men who don't like him, who live against him. He provides for them things that they otherwise could not provide for themselves. And that's exactly what Jesus is calling for us to do. In Romans 12 that was read earlier, if your enemy is hungry, you do what? You feed him. If he's without clothes, what do you do? You clothe him. And by doing this, the Romans writer would say, you heap coals of fire on their head. Very interesting imagery there. You slowly wear them down with love, right? You show them that you live above the hate. And, and, it, and it doesn't mean that, you know, all of a sudden we're going to the movies together. But it does mean that my interactions with them, I provide certain things that they might not be able to provide for themselves. I've told this story before, but I just think it's so compelling. I remember reading a story of a woman who was competing with another woman for a, a job, a, a very important job to both of these women. And the one woman was a Christian, and the other woman was not. And the, the woman who wasn't a Christian, in order to get the job, she started spreading some serious accusations, some serious slander about this other woman. And it cost the Christian woman the job, and the non-believer got the job. On her first day of work, when she came to this new job, she found a bouquet of flowers on her desk with a note of encouragement from the Christian woman who she had slandered, congratulating her on her new effort. This woman was so touched by this action that she came and talked with this woman, ended up going to church with her, and later became a believer. This is what Jesus is talking about. This type of provisional love, even towards people who are against us, in order to show them the goodness of God. And so we need to take opportunities that are given to us to provide for the needs of those who even hate us. Grab the paper for your grouchy neighbor. Make soup for your sick in-law. Send a birthday card to your unkind co-worker. Be provisional. And then thirdly, and this is probably the most important, be prayerful. Pray for them. And here, here we discover, I think, again, it's most, one of the most dis difficult. He says to pray for those who persecute you. To pray for them so that your reward in heaven will be great. This is the most difficult because you're actively bringing their name before the Father. You're actively praying for them. I like what the New King James says. It says, bless those who curse you. They're cursing you. And you come to the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to bless this person. Now, if you've never done this, and you're just shaking it off, saying, well, that's easy to do. You've never done it. Because it's hard. It's tough. 
to come to the Father and to pray that he will do good to the people that are wanting ill to be done to you. I want you to imagine that person who angers you, who hurts you, who agitates you, and I want you to imagine beginning your prayer every night with, Father, before anything else, please bless this person. Please bless this person. This, what Jesus is talking about here, is transformative. It mainly is transformative for us. It changes us. It changes how we view that person. It is very difficult to constantly feel hatred for someone that you are praying for every night. It's very difficult to do. God works on our heart in a marvelous way through this avenue. How different would our churches be? How different would our country be if before every encounter we prayed for these people that we were about to engage with? Pray for those. Bless those who persecute you. So be prayerful. Be provisional to them. And even be pleasant to them, Jesus says. This is how very practical ways, Jesus says, that you can love your enemies. But where do you get the motivation for this? I mean, this is tough. This is hard. I know that because the natural Jacob doesn't want to do this. And I'm not up here acting like this is easy for me because it's not. The natural man doesn't want to do this. So where in the world do you get the power? Where do you get the strength? Where do you get the motivation to live and to act in this way? Turn over to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Starting in verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Now notice what he says in verse 10. For if while we were what? enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. The empowering, motivating factor for you to love your enemies is the gospel. It is the grace of God that has been offered to you. Now, and, and, and that is the only thing that is going to empower you to live the way that Jesus is talking about right here. That you see yourself first as an enemy of God. Now, I don't know if we really think of ourselves in that way. I've done a few bad things. I, I, I've done a few bad things in the past. But an enemy of God, that's what Paul's calling you. That's what Paul's calling me. Jacob, enemy number one of God's holiness before Christ. And he said, and while you were still an enemy, while you were still in your sin, not only did he love you, he died for you. Now that is the power of the gospel. In order for you to love your enemies, you first must see yourself as an enemy that was loved. In order for you to love your enemies, you must first see yourself as an enemy that was loved. The empowering grace of the gospel, the empowering grace of the gospel is grace received. If I have received grace, and I truly understand that I have received it, only then am I empowered to offer it 
The cross of Christ compels us to renounce our hate and to invest in love. And brethren, the world desperately needs that church right now. Right now. A church that stands for truth, that holds firmly and undauntingly to the gospel. But yet a church that's still actively pleasant and provisional and prayerful for the very people that hate us. Jesus never sacrificed grace on the altar of truth. And neither should we. The church must stand against our primary enemy, which is Satan. Submitting to the cross of Christ and showing our fellow man the true heart of God, which is love for them as sinners. The same love that we have received as his people. Let us pray together, and then if you have a need, you can come afterwards. Our most holy and righteous Father, a God of love and mercy and truth, Lord, we read things like we have this morning, and we know that as your people we confess we struggle with it, myself included. And Lord, we pray that you will give us the strength by your power within, by your spirit and by your word, and by your abiding presence, to grant us the mercy and the strength that we need to live this out in this world, a world of unrighteousness and confusion. And we know that we will have people that will hate us, that will stand against us, that will agitate us, that will persecute us even at times. But, Father, we know that uh, they have been deceived by the, the great enemy, the adversary, as we have been at many times in our own life. And so we pray that you will grant us the mercy and the compassion in those moments to treat them as Jesus would treat them. And so, Father, we, uh, we pray that you will be with us as your people as we go out into this world this week, that uh, we will be empowered to live this grace-centered way. It's in your son's blessed name we pray. Amen. Would you please be standing as we sing?